Please turn in your New Testaments to Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Watch out. (laughs) We're about to talk about marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I've always wanted to start a sermon on marriage with these uh, profound words. Marriage <laughs> is what brings us together today. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I kind of wanted to be a little funny there because it's really intimidating to preach on marriage. For, excuse me. It's really intimidating for me to preach on marriage because, frankly, I'm not convinced I'm that good at. After 22 years of marriage, I think I must be what you might call a a sincere novice. Someone who uh, understands what the Bible says about marriage and wants to more deeply understand it, wants to seek the Lord and and wants to grow in marriage. But I think we could agree on the fact that, that there are few subjects that are more important to talk about today in our culture than than marriage. Because the family is under pressure today. I don't know if you've noticed that. The family's under pressure, at least the traditional definition and ways of marriage, as the scriptures teach, are under a lot of pressure. But the Word of God stands forever. And we come to the Word of God. We come to the truth that transcends culture and cultures. We come to what God has designed for our highest good and His glory in His ways of marriage. And what this passage teaches us as we look at the roles of marriage, it teaches us that that the core of this issue, of the trouble that we have today in marriage, is not primarily a family values issue. It's a Christ issue. This is about how we relate to our Savior in His grace and truth as we live in relation to marriage. Who are we with Christ in our marriage? Who is Christ in and through us in our marriage? That's where the great crisis is because it's not family values so much that we're interested in that can be defined lots of different ways, spanning lots of different cultures. We're asking about Christ values in relationship, in our marriage. You know, the book of Colossians start, started, I'm going to give you a little replay here, with the supremacy of Christ. You know, the, he, he, everything, He's before all things, and, and all things are whole together in Him. And we get this image that Jesus not only was the, the person of God who created, but He is over all things, and all things are are working and being held together by Him. So, what does that tell us? We can trust Him, right? He's supreme. And then we moved a little deeper into Colossians and started talking about the sufficiency of Christ. That God became one of us. Jesus, the Son of God, came to be our Redeemer. He died for us. He pursued us. He forgave us. Gave us a relationship with Him. And He gives us all things. In fact, that whole section which is where we ended last week, ends with this verse, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do.
do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, as we get to what some people call the practical section of Colossians, marriage, parenting, vocation, ministry, why does all of that glory and all of that grace and all of that truth turn into marriage before anything else? Isn't that interesting? Why does all of that Jesus stuff that we just talked about turn into marriage? Here's the reason that Paul starts with marriage. It's right because marriage is the most accurate picture on earth of Christ's love and leadership. That's what marriage pictures. It pictures the love of Christ for His church, the leadership of Christ for His church. And the character of Christ in these ways is shown in two ways in this text. And, you know, Ephesians 5 is kind of the parallel text to, to here in Colossians 3. This is so succinct. And it has a beauty and a, and a sharpness and a clarity of its own. The two ways that the character of Christ and His leadership and love are shown is uh, in this sentence that I've crafted for you. And you can write this down. You can talk about it over lunch. Submission render, love her tender. There it is. Submission, wise, render. Love her men, tender. Can you say that? Submission render. Love her tender. Sounds kind of like a song, doesn't it? Uh-oh, the S word. <laughs> Submission willingly render. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Christ is shown in this because Christ, is he not an equal member of the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we learn in Philippians 2, 6-8 through 8, that though Jesus is equal in glory and power and authority and, and substance and everything with the, with the Father and with the Spirit, He willingly subordinated Himself under the Father, right? He willingly subordinated Himself. Philippians 2, 6 says, "...who being Christ, who being in very nature God..." did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. So he let go of it. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, the second person of God, quote, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The most damning way to die for a Jew. Cursed is anybody who is hung on a tree. He humbled himself. He became a man. Uh, this is a picture of Christ's willing submissiveness to the Father and how he took on a new role, right? The role he took on is the role of Redeemer. And in fact, Jesus said all the time when he was ministering on earth, I I've come to do the will of my Father who sent me. You see, there's a submission there. There's an underness about Jesus Christ, the second person of God, when it comes to His role. So, submission is not, therefore, always a sign of being inferior, is it? 
Unless you think Jesus is inferior to the Father or the Spirit. But a voluntary humility. A voluntary getting under and a willingness to, to submit, to subordinate, though being an equal. It's the same with wives and their husbands. Wives are not inferior to husbands. You wives know that. There's nothing in the Bible that, that teaches that a wife is inferior to a husband. They are both called to certain roles in marriage that are working great in the Garden of Eden. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And still, God's way of blessing in marriage and relationship and family today. And the Bible says we all must subordinate ourselves to one another. In Ephesians 5, right before you get to that famous passage on marriage, Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's kind of the tail end of the, the section where Paul teaches about the church and how mutual humility is the Jesus way in the church. It sets up perfectly about marriage because right, it's right before he says, wives, submit to your husbands. It's, 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 it's as if to say that the Christian life is subordination. The Christian life is humility. It's not strange for us to, to, to be asked to get under people and to serve them and, and lift them up. But here, as in Ephesians 5 and other places in Scripture, there is a specific calling for wives. And Paul says that it is, quote, fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. It's like the Lord in that it is a willingness to get under and serve. Just like Jesus. It's fitting in the Lord, meaning it's the way that God made it to work. Fitting, it's right. It's dialed in. It's, it's like Christ in His humility, and it's the way God made it to work. And there are so many different ways that people today do marriage or domestic partnership or whatever they call their rough equivalency to marriage. I mean, I'm not, I don't mean that in an ugly way. I'm just, when you're out in the culture, people are t talking kind of code for marriage in lots of ways. Because we really are made in the image of God, and marriage really is how we come together, and there really is something there. And so we, we talk in those terms. But we see something ordered by God here, fitting, that glorifies Him, and really works the best for us too, and for our spouses. In the beginning, God created us in His image, male and female, He created us. Genesis 1.26. And then when he said, I not only am going to create them, male and female, I want them to rule over all of creation. If you want to look at it, you can read along. Genesis 1.26, real easy to find in your Bible. Then God said, let us make, Trinity, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let, let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let us make man in our image and let them rule. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, 
He created him. That's an amazing statement. Like God, in His image He created them. Male and female, He created them. Translated, we're talking vice regents together over creation. We're talking about the equality of men and women under God as reflectors of the image of God. If you don't get that God makes us equal, male and female, male, then you don't get the vice regency concept of God putting male and female together in His image to rule over creation. But, equal in the image of God, equal in honor, equal in value, yes, equal. So let's just get it out of our heads that because we're evangelical church here, that we don't believe in the equality of men and women. It's just not true. But, we must look at when He created them, and how He created them, and what He said to them specifically. God made man first. And it was evidently quite a long time before there was a woman made. As Adam was naming the animals and, and tending to the garden and, and all these things, and, and only later did God take a rib, the substance from the man, and make Eve Make a woman out of the man, and he made her to beautifully correspond to him. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. And they were both naked. And unashamed that, that God created man first, then He created Eve to beautifully correspond to him. And Adam's really excited when he sees Eve. And, and he doesn't even know what kind of a blessing that is yet, you see, that God's giving him. Made to correspond to Adam and him to her. Made to be a helpmate or helpmeet. It is not good that the man should be alone. Therefore, I will make a helpmate or a helpmeet, a corresponder, a completer, suitable for him. I mean, this is beautiful language, isn't it? I mean, if we could just get beyond gender issues for a moment and just kind of calm down and look at the beauty of correspondence here and the gift of God that is marriage and the order of the creation and the roles given in that garden. This could be a significant moment in our lives for our marriages and future marriages for those that are not married. So let me ask you this question. What was this help, helpmate, this help that God created Eve to give Adam? I will tell you that it was not because the garden was big. It was not because it was a big garden and Adam needed another farmhand there wasn't any sweat or toil at that time in the Garden of Eden. No, this was about the fact that there were things that only she could bring to his life. There was a strength and a help that he had never known before that, that he didn't have alone and only she could, could bring to his life. And things that only he could bring to hers. 
And it's all about how marriage will be a, become this kind of closeness and intimacy of the two becoming one flesh. The help of marriage for Eve is about submitting, about being with him, being given to, to be a helpmate to him, to bring her strength to him, to know him, to love him, to build him up, to walk alongside him what the Bible says. Kathy Keller writes, by the way, the book um, by Tim and Kathy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, Gene and I listened to it. I know some of y'all had a Bible study with it, which is great. We listened to it when we were on vacation this summer on an audio book in the car. I recommend it. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. She writes this particular chapter. Kathy Keller writes, a helper can only help out of strength. The helper helps because he or she has qualities that are needed by the person who doesn't have these qualities. It is a position of strength to be able to help somebody. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And we live in a world that teaches that we should not place ourselves under anybody. In fact, we should place ourselves over every other person and only Fools would place themselves under people. This is God's design for marriage. There can only be one leader in a home. And that leader is supposed to be the husband. It's supposed to be Adam who was created first. And Eve was created to be a helper for Adam. And they will walk together. Trust me, ladies, it gets a lot harder in a minute for husbands. So let's just, you know, get ready. The Greek word for submission here in Colossians is in the middle voice. And you're probably wondering, what does that mean? What it means is that it is voluntary. It means that it's not demanded. Let me tell you something, husbands. If you're demanding submission, you're out of God's will. God can demand submission. You cannot. Submission, like Jesus becoming the Redeemer... Submission, like Eve, willingly bringing strength to Adam, is something that a wife gives to her husband. Is not demanded by her husband. Submission, render. Love her tender. You see that? Render it. Kathy Keller says again, if submission was not an assault on the dignity and value and equality of Jesus in taking the subordinate role to his father in order to accomplish our salvation, how on earth can I feel hurt or devalued when asked to play the Jesus role of subordination in my own marriage? She, see, she gets it. It's not about inequality. And it shouldn't be about power, because that's not what husbands are supposed to use. It's about a leadership given to a husband. It's about a correspondingness and a helping given to a wife. Now, God has actually given wives a great gift in submission. And I'll tell you the reason why. If you, if you look at Ephesians 5, what you're going to find is God not only makes the man the leader, He holds the man responsible for the quality of that marriage before the throne of God to present her as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or disfigurement through the washing with water through the Word through His leadership, 
through His loving example of Christ, through His teaching of the love and grace of Jesus, she will grow, she will thrive as He loves her, and at the end of days, He will present her, and He will be held accountable for that marriage. Ephesians 5.23, if you want to look at this. For the husband is the head of the wife, as in the same way as Christ is the head of the church, His body of which He is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit to their husband in everything. Let me tell you, some of the, sometimes the best thing you can do, wives, and I've had it done to me in my own marriage, is when Mr. Know-it-all, that would be me, by the way, I'm not impugning any males here in the, the service, when Mr. Know-it-all doesn't want to listen to you, when Mr. Know-it-all forgets about equality, and doesn't value your input, then just move out of the way, let him fall on his face, move out of the way, and let God get a free shot at that dude. Because once he falls, quit trying to rescue him every time, quit trying to, to step in and run it, let the guy fall a few times, because once he falls, he will quit whining about you, and he will come back and say, oh yeah, about that equality thing. Now, what is it? What was your opinion about this? A man who does not listen to the counsel of the one closest to him, who knows him better than anybody, the corresponding one, the helping one, is a fool. This is a liberating gift for wives. And I, I want to say that I do appreciate Gina's heart my wife, at this point, because she sees my sin more than any of y'all do. She sees my failures. She has been through my misadventures, which became ours. And she still loves me. And even better, she still wants to follow me. I don't think I would want to follow me, but there's something in her heart that God puts in the heart of wives that want to be with their husband, want to work with their husband, want to know them, want to walk alongside, want to work with them, you see. It's beautiful. So first is this humble, serving love of Jesus shown in marriage by wives. Submission rendered. What's the second part, husbands? Love her tender. Love her tender. Verse 19, husbands, <laughs> got to make sure I point it myself, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You may have heard this before, but this is definitely the harder assignment of the two. This is how marriage pictures the leadership of Christ as loving and initiatory and sacrificial, self-sacrificial leadership. Love her tender. Can you guess what word is used for love here in this passage? Oh no, oh no, it's that word, agape. It's not all these other words about fellowshipy love and, and sensual love and, and brotherly love. No, it is self-sacrificing, initiatory Painful to give, very often, love for the sake of the other. 
Husbands, sacrifice for your wives. And to make it worse, guys, it's in the present tense. Keep on sacrificing for your wives. Listen, women, if you're th- if, if single women, if you're thinking about getting married, you need to decide if you want to be under the headship of that guy. And you need to test out whether his love is sacrificial. Not just whether he's hot or nice sometimes. Or goes to church even. <coughs> Ephesians 5.25. You might as well just put your finger in Ephesians there. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for Christ is our heavenly husband. We, the church, are his bride. And this is how we serve and love and lead our wives, men, by laying down us for them. Not very popular today. Paul Thompson, a missionary friend of ours, put it this way, husband's role is to move in and bless. No passivity about this love. The husband, in short, must be the initiator, the leader when it comes to love. I told you I'm not great at it. I told you this is intimidating to preach on marriage. And not just wanting to make decisions and lead by being the big cheese or whatever people fancy themselves and using Scripture to try to reinforce that that authority and you really sometimes that just comes down to raw power but leading and loving his wife going after her sacrificially serving his wife amen ladies amen you see love is not i'll love you if you love me this kind of love is not i'll withhold love from you if you withhold love from me This is a love we are commanded to give. It is not passive, wait and see, love. It is not a negotiated love. You can negotiate who takes the kids to school. You can negotiate who picks up the laundry. You cannot, men, we cannot negotiate love. We do it. We show how it's done. We lead. In Christian marriage, man up equals agape. Love. Because husband love moves in and and gives regardless of whether it will produce a desired outcome or not. How hard is that? Husband love keeps on loving even though there's discord and tension. Husband love keeps on loving. It doesn't go to its man cave and call a time out for three days. Husband love sees the objective to give, and like the Marines, you like this imagery guy? Storm the beaches. Bring it. Husband love conquers fears because it's initiatory, removes barriers, melts bitterness because it says, I'm sorry, first. And husband love never quits. Never quits. Just like 1 Corinthians 13.8, love never fails. When Gina and I were pretty young in our marriage, 
is right about the time we got a king-sized bed, we figured out the adult bed wasn't going to work for us. She has long arms, you know. So we got a king-sized bed, and we were lying in bed one night, and we had just had a discussion. That's southern for an argument, which might be southern for something else. (laughs) And I was so mad at her because she hurt my feelings. She's going to be in the second service. It's going to be bad. She hurt my feelings. So there we were with a county of king-size bed between us. Her on one edge, about to fall off so far, wanting to be so far away from me, and me on the other edge, and I'm sitting there fuming, and then I did something that was dangerous. I started praying. Well, actually, I, I would probably be honest if I said I started telling God things like, God, this woman's driving me crazy. But at least I was talking to God, right? It's a, it's a start. Lord, what am I going to do with this woman? (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, the weirdest thing happened while I was praying, and the prayers got ratcheted down, you know, as I continued to be with God. God showed me it was my fault. That's that's a bad thing at 1 a.m. So I rolled over and rolled over and rolled over and rolled over. And tapped the other on the shoulder <laughs> and said, hey, um, I was just kind of talking to God about, you know, what happened earlier. I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? Strangest thing happened. Joseph, I'm sorry too. What was the difference? Initiatory love. You see, husband love is a picture of Jesus' love and the way he leads. Jesus didn't wait for optimal conditions. Jesus didn't cut any deals. He he came into this world. He was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And his love never quits. And he continually reigns over his church as the one that we have union. And he loves his people individually. Jesus loves you if you know him as Savior and Lord. The husband in Ephesians 5 is head over the wife. I love what William Hendrickson states. The comparison with Christ as head of the church reveals in what sense the husband is the wife's head. Being her head means that he is vitally interested in her welfare. He is her protector. His pattern is Christ who is the head as Christ is the head of the church. So, in the same way, husbands are the head of their wife. And you know, here's the the simple truth of the matter. Remember, it's submission render. It's a willingness to work with. Here's the truth of the matter. You show me a husband that loves his wife at any given time, like Christ loves the church. And they're all, by the way, messing up and and having to repent, ladies. So it's not like you... If you're having trouble with your husband like you ended up with a bad one or something, well, we're all, and we'll get to that in a moment. But you show me a husband that loves his wife like Christ loved the church, and I will show you a wife that can't wait to submit to her husband. Submission render. Love her tender. See, it's not just sacrificial, is it, in Colossians 3.19. It's tender. Husbands, love your wives And do not be harsh with them. 
Isn't that interesting? He just kind of stuck that on the end. You'd think that that would be included in love your wives, but he wanted men to know that they should cherish their wives and be tender with their wives and not just be heroic toward their wives. You don't take something of real value to you and be reckless and rough. You don't take your iPad and throw it on the ground, do you? Uh-uh. You don't, take, you, don't, you don't walk up to your computer and kick it on the desk, do you? Why? Because we cherish our technology. We are careful with our technology. We are tender with our technology, are we not? How much more? This corresponding other that God Himself has given us. This completer, this helper who is literally being called to subordinate and humble themselves with us? How much more should we cherish our wives? You know, in some ways, our wives are, are really strong and they're tough. Some ways, they're, they're a lot stronger than us. Are they not, guys? But in other ways, they are very fragile. And Paul says, love your wives sacrificially and be tender. Love them tender. It's beautiful. The Puritans said something that's kind of rough to hear, but makes a lot of sense. I want you to think about this maybe when you go home today. The rule of Christ, they said, begins at home. Let me say that again. The rule of Christ, who we are in relationship to Christ, begins at home. And who you really are with God is who you are and who I am at home. God set up this leader-helper model for marriage and it worked perfectly. I mean, clockwork on time, perfectly when he set it up. You know why? Because there wasn't any sin. Because there wasn't any selfishness. Because there wasn't any ruling over people that you have no business lording over anybody because you're not lord over them. You have authority to lead a relationship over that marriage. But they're not your indentured servant. So there's no sin there, there's nothing. Before sin, a husband would never exercise selfish power over his wife. He would never use God's Word to keep her in place. Before sin, she would never try to run over him. She would never chip away at him to, to show him that he was not able to lead and she needed to, to come in and take that place. This, this would never happen before sin. And before sin, they would never back away from each other in frustrating separation. Never. It's beautiful the way but God made it. As Paul says, it's fitting. We don't live in that garden anymore, do we? <laughs> we don't live in that garden anymore. We are sinners. But I, I want you to, to know, regardless of how the culture defines marriage, how they do marriage or some rough equivalent, the Word of God stands forever. We are sinners, but God's design for marriage is still rich and still beautiful. But here's the deal. We can't do it on our own because we are sinners. 
We need the Christ that marriage pictures to have the marriage that Christ wants our marriage to picture. He's there. He's there. Remember, He's our leader. Remember that? We are the church. He's our husband. Guys, He's there. Ladies, He's there. We need to follow Him. We need to trust Him. We need to learn His Word. We need to worship Him. We need to live in Him. To put it in Colossians language, we must look to His supremacy and His sufficiency. Colossians teaches us that those things apply to marriage and flow into marriage when we seek a marriage that's related most closely to Him. And next week, it gets harder, parenting. Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for your grace upon grace. And we pray that you would bless the marriages within this church and, and, and outside of this church. We pray that you would bless those who want to be married that uh, you would help them to, to be able to sample and know the heart as well as they can know it, to see if that heart is Christward. Jesus, you are the husband that the husbands in this church will never be. We repent and look to you. And our wives also fall short. Let us find our sufficiency in you. Work in our lives, Jesus. We pray in your holy name.